Last week we started the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to walk through it each week, uh, take the next chapter. So last week we dealt with chapter 1, today we'll deal with chapter 2. Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. It's written by a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon was involved in three of the books of the Old Testament. Uh, many people believe he wrote Song of Solomon, uh, which is a book about beauty and love early in his life. He wrote the book, much of the book of Proverbs in the middle of his life. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is about the meaning of life at the end of his life. So we are going through this book. It is a book about life under the sun. That's a phrase you see often in this book. Here's what it means. When Solomon uses the term life under the sun, what he's talking about is life on this planet. In other words, don't, don't put God into perspective. Let's talk about a person who's born without God and who dies without God and everything that he does on this planet. Let's talk about what his life looks like. And so Solomon takes this journey with us, uh, or takes us into his journey of what does life under the sun look like? What does life look like from a purely human perspective? And he gives us some tremendous insight on, on what he learns and what we can apply. Basically, we talked about it last week where he emphasized this idea that life is somewhat like a treadmill where you just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. One of the terms that you see often in this book is um, life is, depending on your version, some say vanity, which has the idea of uh, worthlessness or meaninglessness or a phrase you're going to see today, uh, it's like uh, chasing the wind. And so it's a phrase we see often over 30 times in this book. And the same thing with under the sun. We see that over 30 times. So you need to understand where he's coming from in order to understand this book, or you misinterpret this book. And that happens a lot. Now, we have to understand our American mindset as well, because that plays into it. Sourced in the beginning of this country, in the early days of this country, was the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we need to understand that we have a culture, we live in a culture which is sourced in the idea of happy, contentment, enjoyment. In fact, we're led and we're brought up as Americans to believe that is a fundamental right. And if you're not happy, something's wrong. And Solomon's going to address that. He's going to address this idea of how do you find happiness or satisfaction or meaning in this thing that we call life. But let's understand from a human perspective, from an American perspective, that that is an American idea, that we deserve the right to be happy. Not necessarily a biblical idea. Because if you look at many of the Bible characters, they do not possess a life of happiness. You know, Paul is not happy when he's in prison, but he is full of joy. And, and you see that over and over and over again. You see Bible characters in very difficult situations, and there is joy, but there's not happiness. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And so we want to try to approach this idea. So here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we'll start in the first verse. Here, here's what it says. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But it also proved meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Solomon says, I tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of the things that people say 
make you happy, and I'm going to explore them. And I'm going to explore them with a guy who has unlimited resources. And I'm not going to explore them half-heartedly. I'm going to give it everything I've got. Now, we lose perspective today. So what happens is there's a book, the book of 1 Kings tells us a lot about Solomon's life. And so it gives us a lot of details that we don't have just reading the book of Ecclesiastes. So let me tell you what a day, 1 Kings chapter 4, let me tell you what one day of food was like in Solomon's day. This isn't partying. This is a normal day. They would prepare 185 bushel of flour. They would prepare 375 bushels of meal. They would slaughter 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep, deer, gazelle, and chickens. That was a normal day. That was what the kitchen staff prepared for Solomon's group every single day. Ten oxen, 20 cattle. That, let's just go with the stuff we can really super relate to. Okay? 185 bushel of flour, 370 bushel of meal every day. And this is a guy who said, that's not enough. Let's party. Let's eat more and let's drink more. And let's see if that provides happiness. So Solomon goes on a binge to say, hey, I'm throwing a party tonight. Everybody come. And then he would say, you know what? Let's throw another party and let's outdo the party that we had before. And he said, you know what? Let's have a bigger party. And he pursued this for a while. And you know what his conclusion was? It's kind of silly. You and I know people who have done this. You know people who have said, you know what? I'm going to go out and do the party thing. I'm going to go out and do the, and, and wine was involved. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go do the alcohol thing. We're going to get it plastered. And what happened? They wake up in the next morning with a hangover, not even be able to remember what they did the night before. And then what's their thing? What's their next thing? Let's have another party. And you know as well as I do, there are people who live this lifestyle. And there are people who try to find happiness and joy in this kind of lifestyle. And Solomon says, you know what? I pursued it at a level you can't even comprehend. And you know what I found at the end? It was kind of foolish. Just didn't really do anything for me. He said, you know, that, because if you're going to try to find meaning and happiness and pleasure, you're going to fall short. So Simon says, so you know what? I came up with a better idea. Notice what he says here in the next thing. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. And I made reservoirs of water for groves of flourishing trees. He said, since that wasn't enough and that was kind of silly and, and really it got old fast because that party lifestyle, it gets old really, really, really fast. Solomon said, you know what? I decided that, you know what? Maybe I'll do something for somebody else. Maybe I will start to build stuff. So here's what he said. He said, I'm going to build a house for God. He spent seven years building the temple, Solomon's temple. One of the greatest architectural things of its day. People came from all over to see it. He got finished with the temple. You know what he said? That was okay, but I think I can do better. So he spent 14 years building his own house. Again, something people came from all over to see. But this is a guy who said, you know what? Let's do it, Let's do it even bigger than that. Let's go do parks. So he built parks. Many of you know how much effort goes into planting your garden. 
You know how much work goes into planting a garden. You know what he did? He built forests. I mean, really, spend the, spend the winter planting your forest. And he realized, i got to water them. And i got to water them in a very difficult, dry area of the country. So you know what he did? He dug reservoirs. To this day, you can go to Jerusalem and see the remains of some of the reservoirs that he built in order to be able to water the trees for the forests that he built. This is a guy who said, you know what? I'm going to build stuff for other people. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to build the biggest house I can build. I'm going to build the nicest thing I can build. I'm going to try to accomplish something for other people. And he did all of that. And he said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'll find satisfaction in that. How many of you have been here? You know what? If we could just remodel the kitchen, I'll be happy. I will find satisfaction in the remodeling of my kitchen. One of the things we went to, we were going to churches in, uh, this past uh, week or two ago, and we were talking with different people, and one of the questions that I asked, now I'm asking people who have just built a new church within the last 10 years, and one of the questions I asked one of the pastors, I said, is there anything you'd change? And at first he goes, no. And he goes, well, no, there is. Why? Because... Every time we get something done, what do we do? We think of ways that we could have done it better or things that we would like differently. And many of you have been there. You have built that thing that you that onto your house or in your house or remodeled that thing, and all of a sudden you went, I wish we would have done this. Why? Because it's not going to satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And if it does satisfy, it only satisfies for a while. That's what Solomon said. He said, I learned that doing all of this stuff, it only satisfies water. So he tackled the next project, and look at what he has to say. He says, you know what? He said, look, maybe I'm working too hard. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to enjoy the things that I have. Maybe I can find pleasure in that. Notice what he goes on to say uh, in verse 7. He says, I brought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house, and I owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well and the delights of my heart of man. I became great, greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that I desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He said, I decided to sit back, and I'm going to hire everything done. I'm going to sit back and simply enjoy retirement and do nothing. I'm going to get up in the morning, and if I decide to golf, I'll golf. And if I decide to fish, I'll fish. And if I decide to just sit in my chair, I'll sit in my chair. And if I want something to eat, I'll ring my little bell, and they'll come, and they'll serve me. One version says not only did he have servants, but he had servants of servants of servants. Some people estimate that the number of people in Solomon's employment was between 10 and 30,000 people. So this is a guy who basically says, you know what, here's what happened. He said, I didn't sign myself nothing. He said, whatever I wanted, I got. I didn't even think twice about it. So in Solomon's world, basically it goes something like this he would walk out in the parking lot this afternoon he would look at the cars and he would go i think i like that one here i'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for your car to which any of us would go 
Yes. <laughs> Why? Because in his kingdom, there was so much, they tell us that there was so much silver and gold, they stopped counting silver because it was worthless. This is the guy. This is the guy who's got it all. This is the guy who's sitting at home on his iPad and he hears a new song that he likes and he goes and buys the group. And now they play exclusively for him at the palace. Whatever his eyes saw, he took. He could have anything he wanted. He said, so I just sat back and said, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy life. I'm going I'm to embrace everything that life has to offer it. And you know what I found at the end? It's meaningless. It was a chasing after wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then he takes it to a not, not next level. He said, you know what? He said, okay, maybe I'm going at this wrong. Maybe I just need to pursue like, like wisdom, like being the smartest guy in the room. And he was the smartest guy in the room. Okay? Um, next to Jesus Christ, he's the smartest person that's ever walked on the planet. Notice what he goes on to say. Um, in verse 12. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and follow, folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? He said, I started to look at it and thought, you know what, I've done everything that you can possibly do. Maybe I'll just play, maybe I'll just work on the smart thing and try to get smarter than I already am. And he thought, well, wait a minute, the opposite of smart is silly. So if I'm going to pursue one, I need to probably pursue the other one too. So he said, let's, let's pursue the folly thing too, the just the silly kind of lifestyle you know so you know let's go buy blue peacocks with green feathers and orange little things on top of their head that that sounds like that's fine so he just all kinds of silly stuff and notice what he says he said i saw that wisdom is better than folly because life's better than nice and one thing i learned is that okay you know wisdom and folly he said it's kind of smarter it, it, it's better to be smart and know that this ends here, than it is to just pursue it and then find out later, be surprised by where it ends. He says, so there's kind of some advantage to being a little bit smarter. But he said, the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness. And then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What do I gain by being wise? He said, all of a sudden I realized, guess what? The foolish man, he dies. What happens to the wise man? He dies. They both end up the same place. This guy spent his life being smart, he dies. This guy spent his life being silly, he dies. And so notice what he says. He said, he said, I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise men like the fool will not be long remembered. The days will come, they'll both be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise men too must die. He goes, so it wasn't like important to be the smartest guy in the room and it wasn't important to be the silliest guy in the room because they both die. So after he's pursued all of this, He's now happy. No. Notice what he says in the next verse. He goes on. Verse 17. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. He started thinking about life after he left. So he's come to this conclusion that no matter what he does, he's going to die. And then he starts thinking about what's going to happen to all the stuff he's done after he dies. And notice what he says. He says, I hated all the things I had told for in the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. In other words, somebody else is going to enjoy it. And then he says, and who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. 
These are all going to go to my kids, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And I don't know if they're going to be wise with it or foolish with it. And he said, so I'm doing all of this work to leave it to them? And then that's what he goes on to say. Um, yet he will, oh, no, no, go back, go back, 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 back. Oh, I'm not done. Beep, thank you. Um, so he said, uh, this too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave it to he who owns someone who has not worked for it. He says, well, let me get this straight. I'm knocking myself out to accumulate all this stuff, and then I'm going to hand it to somebody who has it done diddly. How much sense does that make? And notice what he goes on to say. He keeps going, and he says, and work for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving which he labors for under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief, even at night his mind doesn't rest. This is meaningless. He said, he goes, it's interesting, he goes, this progression, and, and when he starts to really, really look at this, and it, um, where's, where's that, I've got that. Um, here's what he says. He starts being depressed about it. And then he gets frustrated, realizing it's all going to go to somebody else, and then he ends up in despair. He said, when you stop and really, really think about life under the sun, what's it all about? Now, let me put a little parenthesis here for a second, okay? He's not saying work is bad. Work because of sin is bad. Okay? Let me give you a quick theology lesson, run down a little rabbit trail, and then come back for a second. When God created man, he created him with the ability and the desire to work. Before sin ever comes into the picture, man is working in the garden. It was one of man's jobs. When God created man, the first thing he gave, one of the first things that he gave him was a job. So there's nothing wrong with work. In fact, the Bible tells us that when man worked, the ground did whatever he wanted it to do. There was no toil. There was no effort. There was nothing. But one of the results when sin comes into the picture is work becomes difficult. Work becomes hard. Here's why God did that. God wanted to teach Adam a lesson. And one of the consequences of the fall was that the work would now, the ground now would be hard and toilsome. And here's what God was trying to show Adam. He's trying to show Adam that if, if without sin, in a world without sin, there is, the, the ground would subject itself to Adam. And whatever Adam wanted the ground to do, it would do. But after sin... God wanted, in essence, the ground to rebel. And he wanted to show Adam, this is the result of something that should be in subjection to you, rebelling against you. And now you're going to continually struggle and fight with the earth. And that won't get corrected again until the end times, until the end of time. But I generally believe we're going to, I generally believe we'll work in heaven. Okay? But it'll be fun and it'll be enjoyable. But because of sin, now all of a sudden everything's messed up. And now all of a sudden work is toil and it's hard. And that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, I go through this grind day after day after day after day after day. And he said, and it's old and it's hard. And he said, and I realize the reason I'm doing all of this is to give it to two hooligans who I don't even know what they're going to do with it. And he said, that doesn't make any sense. 
Why am I working so hard for them and they're not working at all for any of it? So you can understand. And some of you are going, well, I'm going to change my will this week. No, that's not what I'm saying, all right? It's not what we're talking about here, okay? But I think, by the way, some of you need to study this out. And I think that's one of the reasons when the Bible talks about inheritance, it does talk about grandchildren rather than children. But that's another subject completely. Anyway, um, uh, here we go. Um, it, it's this idea of all his days in pain and grief. And he says, he said, I can't even rest tonight. How many of you get, get that way with work? You come to the end of the day, and you're so wound up, you can't even rest at night. Because you're either worrying about what you got to do the next day, or your still, mind's still on all the stuff that, problems that you had today that you didn't get solved, and you're just, you're in this turmoil thing. Solomon says, that's what life likes under the sun. Now listen to what he says, because this is, this is the important part of it, and this is the key to all of this. Here's what he says. Notice, going to the next, the last phrase of, of chapter 2. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. Now that actually, in the NIV, is not a great translation. Let me give you a little bit different one. There is nothing in man that can find satisfaction in eat, drinking, and work. Is, is probably a better translation. He's saying, look, if a man's going to try to generate it on his own, it ain't going to happen. But this too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? For the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. He said, here's what I've learned. He said, if you don't see everything from the hand of God, then there's no meaning to what you do this week. If you don't bring God into the perspective, you're going to lose it. Now, this is a simple concept, but this is really important that we get it, because I think as Christians we miss this. And I think this is one of the reasons we struggle. Now, let me give you a quick, let me give you a quick rundown of where Solomon is in life when he says this. Okay? Here's what he said. Here's what we know from, from 1 King. He, is, he has lived a life of any comedian he wants, he has around him. He's drinking out of golden mugs, the, the uh, First King Solomon. He has real estate with massive palaces, private garden, personal staff that's estimated between ten and 30,000 servants. He has a private zoo with exotic animals from around the world, including Egypt and Sicily. He has a ranch with 12,000 horses. He owns 1,400 chariots that were imported. He has so much silver that it's worthless. He has on-demand access to any performer that he wants. He has the ability to have sex with a thousand wives and concubine at any moment, at any time. He has rock star fame with the highest IQ in the land. He has a job that he loves, power to be able to do anything that he wants, and he sits on a throne that is made with ivory, overlaid with gold, has 14 hand-carved lions and 50 custom hand-hammered golden shields. And he says, and some of you are sitting here this morning and go, you know what? Test me. Give me that life and I'll be happy. Here's a guy who had it. And he said, it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. It all has no intrinsic happiness, long-term value in my life. 
Or some of you that got sucked up into this Powerball thing, thinking, if I could just win a little bit, that would solve my problems. Maybe for a moment. But it's not going to fix it. Because here's the key. You're trying to find happiness in a thing, or some of you are trying to have, find happiness in a person, and you are going to be disillusioned every single time. Because happiness is not something that you can produce with external stuff around. You can produce, again, I understand, believe me, you know, I'm like, you know, you go get me a new car today, I'll be happy for a while. But it's not going to fill that void in my heart. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea that when, when God created us, God put this little section of our life, void, compartment, whatever you want to call it, inside each one of us. And God designed us so the only thing that fills that void and satisfies is him. And Satan comes along and he says, no, 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 no. You don't need God. Just pursue pleasure. Fill that void with pleasure. And Solomon said, I tried it. It doesn't work. Fill that void with with building stuff and creating stuff. And Solomon says, I tried it. It doesn't work. Fill that void with wisdom. I tried it. It doesn't work. Fill that void with just doing whatever you want to do. Make a life all about you. Solomon said, I tried it. It doesn't work. Fill that void with money. It'll, and that'll take care of it. No, Solomon says, I tried it. I had it. It doesn't work. Solomon said, what I started to realize is the only way I could find genuine happiness, contentment, satisfaction in life is when I started to see everything from the hand of God. And he said, if you don't do that, you will not find satisfaction, joy, contentment, peace in this world. Because life under the sun is like chasing the wind. It's like running on a treadmill. It's just, it, 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 it just, it's just this constant rat race thing. And he said, it doesn't make sense if you don't start to see stuff from the hand of God. So a couple of takeaways for us. One of the things is, you've got to understand that for some of you who are trying to find, find satisfaction in life from your job or your career or, or maybe that person or that situation or money or <clears throat> that career or that house or that whatever, here's what you need to understand. God is the only one who can fill that void. Jesus Christ came so that you could have eternal life. That is the only way to fill that void. Everything else is Satan mislabeling it, saying it will fill the void, but it will not. Because this is from a guy who had it all, who did it all, who explored it all, and said, my conclusion is, it's not, does not do it. But my conclusion, he says that at the last chapter of the book, but my conclusion is also this. Until you see everything from the hand of God, you're not going to find what you are frustrated. You're not going to find the solution to what you're frustrated with this morning. Which brings me to this idea. We genuinely need to pursue God and stop pursuing stuff and things or people that we think will satisfy that struggle we're having right now. Look, you know, I, I mean, you think about this for a minute. How many times do we say this? You know what? If my spouse would just do this, they would be, I would be happy. 
You know, God, if you could just fix my spouse, then I'll be good. Life will be good for me. God, if you can just change my job, I will be, everything will be good. God, if you could just take care of my financial need right now, everything will be good. We have gotten caught up in this idea that those are things that will bring us satisfaction. And so we want our circumstances to change, or we want that person to change, or we want that situation to change, and we think that will bring us joy and contentment and satisfaction and happiness. And what Solomon is saying is, no, it won't. It might for a short amount of time. That's why people can win the lottery and be broke five years later. Because it didn't provide them long-term what they thought it was going to provide them for. That's why you see people who, you know, they think, okay, you know, if I just do this, then I'll be happy. And they do that, and it works for a little while, and then they're right back to where they were before. Because here's what Solomon's saying. You and I need to start seeing everything, everything from the hand of God. And I guarantee you it will change the way you look at life. So in other words... I look at my spouse, it's not like, okay, Lord, you need to change my spouse. I say, Lord, I understand that this is the spouse that you gave me. This is a gift from your hand. That job that you're struggling with right now, that's a gift from the hand of God. Because we have people who are unemployed who would love to have your job. God has given you a gift in that job that you get to go to tomorrow. You're going, well, what does is, what is God really think of me? No, um, I mean, you know, honestly, though, I mean, that's how we look at it. We look at it like, okay, God, I don't like that gift. No, 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 no. That is a gift from the hand of God. Your money. See, we say, it's my money. It's not your money. That's the money that God has entrusted to you to spend this week. You know, I deal with this with couples all the time. I have, to get, I have to break them from the habit of my money and change it to our money. And I get them to think in terms of our money, not my money, your money. And that's a big hurdle for a lot of couples. We need to c- consider the concept of it's not my money or our money, it's really God's money. Are you ready for this? That car that you're having trouble with that needs to get fixed right now, that's God's car. I mean, really, stop to think about this. Those kids that you have, they're not your kids, they're God's kids. Those grandchildren, they're God's. You know, you have been entrusted to them for a while. They're gifts from him. And if you start to think of everything in your life from from this thinking, it really changes the way you approach life. So I go out tomorrow, and there's something wrong in my car. And See again. And God's car doesn't start. And I, and I ran into this subtly. I ran into this, by the way, this a couple weeks ago. I wanted to start giving you guys an update on, on the building project. So I started searching clip art, you know, for, you know, building project, church building project, our building project. And I saw all these things. And I ran across this one that said building God's project. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. That's cute. So I put it in there a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm like, awesome. It's God's deal. It's God's issue. Now God will use his people to accomplish it, 
but it's God's problem. And everything that we have here is from God. So when we decide whether or not to do something this way or that way or, or whatever else, it, it, we are just simply stewards of what God's handed to us. And, and Solomon says, look, when you start to understand that everything you have is from God, that everything comes through his hand, it changes the way you enjoy and appreciate this life. You get out of bed tomorrow and you're able to stand on two feet and walk into a bathroom to fix your hair and brush your teeth, that's a gift from the hand of God. You get up, you look at that mirror, and there's less hair there than there was a number of years ago. That's a gift from the hand of God. You know, I keep blaming my beautician. Um, as I tell her, I tell Laura, I say, look, I said, I have more hair when we started. And I said, you're the only one that touches this, so I think it's your fault. Um, you know, but I mean, it's, uh, seriously, it's one of those things where, you know what, everything that we have is a gift of God. That farm that you have, those cattle you have, that job that you have, that IRA that you have, that retirement that you have, the, all that stuff that you have in your house. Again, think about how this impacts the way. How many of you have gone and tried to build something or do something in your house so you could have people over? Oh, you know, if we make it this big or if we do this, then we can have more people over so they can enjoy our house. And how many people do you have over? Zero. Why? Well, my house is messy. This will help you. It's God's mess. Bring them over anyway. You know, I'm not there to inspect your house. I'm there to spend time with you. And that is far more important than what your house looks like. And we've got to get past some of this stuff. Because we get so hung up on this thing, and, we, and it's crazy. We do this stuff in order to do this, and then we never do that. It's just that makes us feel better. Well, you know, honey, if we make this area bigger, we could have more church people over. And then we don't do it. And then we don't do it. Let's be real with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Everything that you and I have this week is from the hand of God. Everything. And if we start to think of life in those terms, you will start to find joy and satisfaction and meaning and purpose. And you'll start to realize that the things that we do are not meaningless and worthless and, and just spinning our wheels, but they're accomplishing something. Why? Because God's at the center of it. And I think we really need to step back and start to realize, you know, again, sometimes we are some of the most ungrateful people in the planet. Look, if you want to sit here and talk to me about what's wrong with our country, we could talk for hours. But I also hope you can sit here and talk to me about what's right with our country. Because I've visited enough third world countries to know that there are a lot of great things that we get to enjoy every single day. You're about ready to get out here and get onto a road and drive home because of the country you live in. And P&G, I've been on their roads where one tribe wars with another tribe and they dig out the tube in the middle of the road so nobody can go from one end of the island to the other and the government can't do anything about it. And it literally collapses one whole side of the, gov of the island just because 
two tribes can't get along over, are you ready for this? A soccer game. You and I jump on roads that, and we complain about the pothole or the two potholes. Or we complain because we don't get enough gravel on our road and our neighbor on the next road does because we think he has a special relationship with the greater guy. (laughs) Am I making sense here? You know, we have so much to be grateful for because it is all from the hand of God and for some crazy unknown reason God when he decided that you could be born allowed you to be born in this country in this time in this point in history with all of the resources and all of the things that you have available to you and we gripe grumble and complain because it's not enough that's not right and Solomon says no wonder we don't have joy No wonder we don't have peace. No wonder we don't have satisfaction in life. We've got to get back to seeing everything from the hand of God. And I want to challenge you with that this week. I want to challenge you. When you get ready to start to complain and gripe and grumble, and you think that that thing or that situation, that circumstance, or that that, that person is the key to your happiness, you'll step back and realize, no, 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 no. It's in my relationship with a living Christ in my heart and life who gives me everything I've got. That's what Solomon's saying. So I end it with this. The void in your soul can only be filled with God. All things that Solomon pursues do provide temporary happiness. They do not permanently satisfy the void in his heart. This week, pursue God. Not the people or the things that you think will give you meaning, because true joy is a gift of God. And it comes from those who take life daily. Whatever it may bring from the hand of a loving Father. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we all get so caught up in our lives in this, this culture and the system. Lord, we, we just become in, uh, people who are ungrateful and selfish and self-centered and self-focused. And Lord, we get caught up in this idea that if our circumstances or situations or certain people will change, then then, then, Lord, everything will be good in our lives. But, Lord, the reality of it is we need you at the center of all we do. The Lord, we've got to understand that our satisfaction in life is going to come from having and recognizing everything from your hand and bringing you into every circumstance, situation, person, struggle. And when it is all said and done, Lord, that we respond in such a way that people would see our faith and our trust and our confidence in you that they would see Christ in us, that we might have the opportunity to make an eternal difference in their lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.